Some people who have listened to me preach for years have noticed that I like to bring up certain references a lot. One gentleman from our Orlando church came to me one day after the service, and he said this to me. He said, Pastor Charles, I can always count on you referencing three things in your messages. He said, in each message, you will usually have some reference to food, a reference to a movie, and a reference to music, either an artist or a song. And he said, usually it's all three of them, and each week I'm just waiting to see which ones, which references you are going to make. And that pretty much nails me. Amen? Yeah, that pretty much says it. That pretty much nails me. He definitely had me pegged. So we're going to start right off with a musical reference tonight. Amen? (laughs) Back when the alternative grunge rock scene was in full motion, there was a band called Stone Temple Pilots. I don't know if any of you, anybody remember the Stone Temple Pilots? Yeah. The Stone Temple Pilots, they were rockers, but a part of the grunge sound made popular by the likes of Nirvana and Pearl Jam and and many others in in that particular era of music. Well, this message has nothing to do with grunge rock or the Stone Temple Pilots, but the name of the message tonight is kind of a nod to the name, Stone Temple Pilots. Tonight we're going to talk about Stone Temple Christians, Stone Temple Christians. You say, what's that? What's a stone temple Christian? Well, I guess I don't know if any, I, I, don't, I don't know if I've ever heard of the term, so maybe tonight I have actually coined my own term, and I've been known to do that, and I know others that have been known to coin their own terms, and so maybe I can um, be the one that, you know, is the one that coined this term. I don't know. Tonight we're going to talk about stone temple Christians. What is it? If you're a Christian, that's what you are. If you're a Christian tonight, that's what you are. Tonight in our text, we'll see that as Peter explains, the Christian is a stone. He is a stone that's being fitted together as a temple of the holy God of this world, the the, the God, the creator of this world. What's he talking about? What does he mean? Well, tonight I've got two points, two simple points. If you're taking notes, the first one is this, you are a living stone. You are a living stone. Let's look down at 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's go ahead and pick it up at verse 4. It says this, Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Christian, tonight, if indeed you are a Christian, you're a living stone. Now, first, you come to Jesus, who is a living stone. This is what Peter says here. He says, coming to Jesus. In becoming a Christian, you, be, you come to Jesus. To become a Christian is to, is to come to Jesus and present your life to Jesus Christ. People talk about a coming to Jesus moment. Have you ever heard of that phrase? Yeah, there's, there's what we call a coming to Jesus moment, and you need to have one of these moments. Amen? You need to have a coming to Jesus moment. Yeah, the moment when you come to Jesus and you give your life to him and you put your full trust and hope in the one true and living God. You have a coming to Jesus moment. So you come to Jesus and trust Jesus with your life and your eternity. And then Jesus makes you a new creature. Paul says you're a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, you're a new creation in him. And then he continues in a process of making you into a masterpiece of his artistry. Sometimes you can't see it, though. You, you read that second chapter of Ephesians and you say, well, you know, God, Paul says you are his masterpiece. And you say, well, I, I, I don't see it. I look, and I don't see it, what's going on. We don't see it sometimes because we look on the outward appearance of things. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks where? On the heart. God looks to your heart, your soul, the spirit, the work that he's doing in you, in the inner person, in the spirit man, the spirit woman that you are, that you've been made in Christ. And, and God has changed your heart. You were once a rebellious lost heart. That's what we were before we came to Jesus, before we had a Jesus moment, a coming to Jesus moment. We were rebellious and lost. And, but God saved us. God saved you. And, and your heart is now, as we learned last week, you, you have, if you've come to Christ, you have a believing heart, a trusting heart. You have a loving heart toward God, and you have a loyal heart toward God as well. Now, part of God's ongoing work is that he takes you, as a Christian, as a new creation, he takes you, and he begins to fit you together with other believers. He, he builds you, and he builds his church. You've heard me say this before, and I'll say it again tonight. God has two great works in the world. He's building you. Paul said to the Philippians, and he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. And Jesus said to Peter when he confessed that he was the, the, the Christ, the Son of the living God, he said, and I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So God's got two works he's working on, you and his church. And so he's working on you. And part of his work and working on you is beginning to fit you together with the body of Christ, with the people of God. And so Jesus builds you and he builds his church. Now, Peter tells us that, we're, that Jesus is a living stone. We come to Jesus as, as a living stone, but we're also living stones being fit together to build a holy priesthood. Look, look down at verse 5. I, I'll actually have that particular verse of our text up on the screen. He says, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so you are a stone. 
You are a living stone. You say, I'm not a, I'm, I don't look like a stone. Yeah, you're a living stone. And, and by contrast, you're not a brick. You're not a brick. You're a stone. God specifically says that you're a living stone. You're not a brick. What's the difference? Bricks are uniform. Bricks are uniform. They're all the same. They have the same width, the same height. And when you lay bricks, you have mortar and you have bricks and you, you lay them all out. Have you ever seen a brick wall? I, I actually have a shop that is brick. And every brick is the same. And, and that's how the bricks go. But, if you, but a stone is different. If you build with bricks, everything's uniform. Everything's clean. Everything's nice and neat. Not too complicated in laying bricks. But when you work with stone, every stone is different. Every stone is unique. Every stone has is, is, is got some different characteristics in it. And when you build with stone, you, you have to really, you know, there's a creativity to it in, in, in piecing them together and fitting them together. I, as I was preparing this message, I was reminded of my brother-in-law, uh, Christian, up in Luray, Virginia, and he, he's, a, he's a carpenter and, and he, he's a builder. And he, he, he built, he's built his house. He, the house he lives in, he built it. And, um, you know, wouldn't you like to be able to say that, have people over, yeah, I like your house, yeah, I built it. You know, that's, he can say that, I can't say that, but he can say that. And one of the things that he built in that house is he, he, he put, put the chimney together. And it's all built with stone. And every time I go over to his house in Luray, I see where he fit those stones together. And, and I can just see Christian, I can imagine him taking the time and looking at the stones that he's got to work with, looking at where he is on that chimney and fitting it together and say, you know what, I need that one right there because that one's going to fit nicely right in there. And he just begins to build that chimney. Now that's what God is doing in building his church because he's looking and he's building with stones. He's not building with bricks. I want to take you back to the Tower of Babel just for a second, uh, because this was the time when, uh, you know, this is after the flood, after the flood of Noah's time, and, and the command uh, for those that came out of the ark was the same command that God gave to Adam and Eve, to, 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 fill, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But the, the problem was that they weren't uh, spreading out over the face of the earth, they had congregated uh, there in that, that Mesopotamian valley there, and they had come under the rule of a man named Nimrod in the Bible, and he was probably, you could consider him, the first world dictator. And, uh, and so you had Nimrod, and he was the one who built those cities. If you go back to Genesis 11, he was the one who led the people to build those cities in, in that area. And one of the projects that they were working on was this tower, the Tower of Babel. And they were, and Nimrod had them using bricks. Uh, the reference is Genesis 11, verse 3. And this is what it says. And it says, Then they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And so they had a brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. I think that's an interesting verse. Instead of having a stone for stone, this text of scripture tells me they had a brick for a stone. And, and this is the difference between a brick and a stone. It, it, it's different in the entire building process. Now, later, many years later, hundreds of years later from this particular event, you can take that verse down, many years later when the Israelites found themselves in 
Egypt in the Egyptian slavery there, Pharaoh had them, one of the, the, the things that, that was a part of their slavery was that Pharaoh had them making bricks. Remember that? They had to make the bricks out of the mud and the straw and all that. And remember that there was that time when Pharaoh got angry and he said, well, you know, we'll, we'll just double the output. Make them make, you know, more bricks every day. And, and they were just making bricks and making bricks. And so bricks were a part of their slavery in, in, in that sense. Bricks then could be a picture of the old life of slavery to sin. You could, you could use bricks as a, as a, as a picture, really, of, of, of what it is to be in your old life of sin. Maybe, to say it that way, in your old life, you were a brick. In your sinful life, in, in, when you were a slave to sin, you were a brick. Before Christ, you are a slave to sin, and you are conformed to the pattern of this world. You're conformed to the pattern of this world. And so that's what the enemy wants to do. The enemy wants to conform everyone into the pattern of this world. And what God does is he calls, he calls individual people by name and he calls them out of the world to be transformed by the renewing of their mind, not conformed to the pattern of this world. And so no longer being a brick, but a living stone in God. Amen? And so the Lord is building a building out of individual masterpiece stones. You are a living stone. And as a living stone, we're growing ourselves we are growing ourselves as we expand in, in our knowledge of Christ, and we're, we're growing in that sense, and so we're, we're a living stone, amen? And God, in his infinite wisdom, in his uh, omnipotence and omniscience, is, is fitting us together uh, as the body of Christ, as the people of God. When this happens... When God begins to fit you together with the body of Christ, when people, you have friction. There's friction involved. You know, you get, you get a couple people together and you got some friction going on, you know, because we're stones, we're not bricks, we're different people and we've got issues and we've got things and we've got our ways and all this. And so what happens is you'll have friction uh, when this happens, and what God wants to do is he wants to, he wants to utilize that, that relationship in the body of Christ to refine us so that we can be the temple of God together. We can be a dwelling place of God to worship God and to hear from his word. And sometimes when that friction comes in, we, we want to run from the friction. We want to uh, maybe even revolt from the friction. I'll I tell you what, I don't like friction. I mean, I, I don't like, I don't, does anybody like friction? No, no one likes friction. No one likes friction. I mean, the only, the, only, the only thing that likes friction is a brake pad. A brake pad. Actually, they probably don't even like it because they get worn out from all the friction, right? And so, you know, but, but, but there's, a, there's, a, there's a verse of Scripture that I want to draw your attention to about, you know, it kind of lends itself to this idea of the friction, and it's a proverb, and it's found in Proverbs 27, uh, 17. And it says this, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharp, sharpens the countenance of his friend. And so, you know, sometimes we want to run from the friction and we want to run from the, the situation, but, you know, so, we, we got to take a look and see how is God using that situation to refine me, 
to bring me to a place of, of denying myself, taking up my cross and following him and, and, and looking towards the needs of others, having that agape love one towards another. And so let me just say it this way, and it's tough. You know, you get up here and preach this, amen? It says, you know, don't, don't shy away from what God is doing in you in placing you in the body, the building of God. There, there will be relationships. There will be uh, sharpening. There will be iron sharpening iron, so to speak. And um, we need to embrace it, but we need to do everything that we do in, in love, amen, in the agape love of God. Paul told the Ephesians the same thing. He said, um, look at Ephesians uh, Chapter 2, verse 19, actually not yet because I'm, I'm going to put another verse up there, but basically Paul, the same thing that, that Peter is saying here in uh, 1 Peter 2, uh, uh, Paul actually kind of basically says the same thing in Ephesians chapter 2, where he talks about the, the stones being fit together as a temple for the, the Lord. And it says this in verse 19 of Ephesians 2. It says this, Now therefore, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but your fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And then verse 21, I'm going to have up actually up on the screen for you so that you can follow along with me on there. In whom... The whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. And so you see, this is what God is doing. God is he's working on you and he's, he's, he's made, changed you from a brick to a living stone and now he's taking you as a living stone and you're being fit together as a stone. We're being fit together as a household of faith and as a temple of the living God. You say, a temple, really? Yeah, a temple is just none other than a dwelling place of God. You, you use the word temple and everybody kind of goes, you know, I'm not into religion. Well, you know, guess what? A temple is basically a dwelling place of God. That's what it is. And we're being fitted together, built up to be a dwelling place of God in the spirit. Amen? So, you're being fitted as a stone, and that's your position in Christ. What are you as a Christian, whether it's the first century, the second century, or the 21st century, amen, second century, the, the, the 21st century, 21st century Christian, yeah, that's the name of the series, not second century Christian. 21st being fitted as a stone is your position in Christ. And we need, to, we need to put that on, on, onto our mind. We need to put that onto our spirit. I'm, being, I'm a living stone, and I'm being fitted as a living stone into the, the, the temple of the living God. Amen? And so that's your position in Christ. It kind of reminds me of when I used to play, well, this is going back many years, when I played Little League Baseball. When I played Little League Baseball, and this is, still happens, you tell people you play baseball, Right? You're in Little League, and hey, what do you do? Well, I, I play Little League. Oh, well, yeah, really? What position are you? Well, I, I, I pitch, and then when I'm not pitching, I play third base. I play third base. So I'm a third baseman, and that's my position. And it kind of reminded me of that. What's our position as a believer in Christ? Well, our position is that we're a living stone being fitted together. That, that, there's a place for us. There's a, there's, there's, there's a, a place where we're apart. Uh, there's a place where we fit there's a place where God is, is wanting to put us and to align us. Amen? 
Now, go, let's go back to 1 Peter 2. So we're, we're being fit together as a temple of the holy God. But look at verse 6. He says, Therefore it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. And so what this is talking about is, as a living stone, there's the, there's the living stone, Jesus Christ, that Peter talked about in verse 4, but now here in verse 6, he's referencing a verse of Scripture from the Old Testament, and he's talking about this idea of a cornerstone. So it's not as if God is just taking a bunch of living stones, a bunch of living people that are now saved, that, that are born again, that are Christians, and he's just putting them together. He's putting them together, and he's putting them in an alignment according to the cornerstone. Because, see, the cornerstone of a building was, was, a, was a fundamental thing. It was a foundational thing, the cornerstone. The cornerstone is really important. The cornerstone, it literally means at the tip of the angle. It refers to the capstone or binding stone that holds the whole structure together. Often the royal name was inscribed on it. In the east, it was considered to be even more important than the foundation. The cornerstone, or in that sense, the foundation stone, concept is derived from the first stone set in the construction of a masonry foundation. Important since all the other stones will be set in reference to this stone, thus determining the, the position of the entire structure. And so we're not just out here being fit together in just some haphazard way. We're being fit together in a perfect alignment with the, the chief cornerstone. And who is he? He's none other than Jesus Christ. He's the cornerstone. He's the living stone. He's the cornerstone. Now, if he goes on in verse 7, he says, But therefore, those uh, to you who believe, he's precious. But to those who are disobedient, and he references another passage where it says, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief building stone, the chief cornerstone. So those who don't believe in Christ, those who don't come to the Lord and say, Yeah, God, Jesus is God. Jesus is the way to salvation. I've got to give my life to Christ. I've got to have that coming to Jesus moment. You say, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want to have anything to do with church. I don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. Well, this is what the Bible says. To those who don't believe, they've rejected the living stone. They've rejected Christ. And he's become the chief cornerstone of the whole project of God building for himself a dwelling place for him, himself, within the midst of his people. And so they've, they've, they've rejected that. They've rejected the cornerstone. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. In the Old Testament, God spoke by the, by the prophet Isaiah about this stone, about this cornerstone. It would be a tried stone, a tested stone. Isaiah, one of the passages that Peter's referencing here, he says, is in Isaiah 28, 16. I'll actually have that on the screen. Behold, I lay in Zion a stone for a foundation, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a sure foundation. This is the Son of God. This is Jesus. He is the cornerstone, the precious stone. So there are those that reject the, the, the cornerstone. They reject the stone, the living stone, who is Jesus, the Son of God. And they reject it. But to us who come into to faith, the, us who come to Jesus, he's precious. 
Amen. That's what Peter's saying. He, he, he's precious to us. To you who believe, he's precious. He's precious. He's, he's, he's precious. You want to talk about a cornerstone? You want to talk about something that aligns your life? You want to talk about having something in your life that when you wake up, you're not some person just flailing around in the winds of all, all this talk out here that's going on, all this political stuff that's going on, all this kind of philosophical stuff over here, all this stuff going on. I wake up every morning and I'm aligned to the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. As Mary Jo said at the beginning, that at, at his name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. So, man, I, I, being a Christian, man, I, I don't know how people... Steve Green wrote the song, How Can They Live Without Jesus? Of Keith Green. How can you live just thinking you're going to wander around through this world? Through your days, through your years that are that we read earlier in this passage, that are grass, that the flower fades, and the flower, the, gra- the, 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 the flower of the grass is the glory of man, and they both fade and cut down in the afternoon. Just like the just like the landscapers. Chris isn't here, but just like the landscapers out here cutting grass all day, they cut the grass down in the afternoon. That's the height of the glory of man. And man, we have an opportunity to give our lives to Jesus and align ourselves with the chief cornerstone of the entire creation. Wow, I don't know how to live without Jesus. I don't know how to do it. Just lost out there. Rebellious for whatever reason. But he's the chief cornerstone. And the, the building project is going forward. Amen? Many are coming to Christ. Many are believing in him, that he is the Lord, that he did give his life for them on the cross, that he did shed the blood of, of that perfect lamb without spot to, be, to, to, to give the righteousness that, that we did not have. But through him, we can have it. Amen? So people are still being added. There are people still coming to be added to this project, this building project. People are still being fit together in the temple. So Christian, tonight you're a, you're a stone and you're being fitted together with other Christians who are stones in a temple. So you're stone temple Christians. Amen? Yeah, I just tied it all together with the title. Yeah, I just tied it all together right there for you. You're stone temple Christians. But let's move forward and take a look at the last two verses. So we're moving on to the last point. The first one is you're a living stone. The second one is this. You're a peculiar people. You're a peculiar people. Oh, yeah, that verse, right? That's the verse tonight. Verse 9, it says this. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who would not obtain mercy but now have obtained mercy. You're a peculiar people. You say, where did you get that? Well, I remember this verse from when I grew up. I remember this section of Scripture from my childhood from the King James Version. I didn't read it in the King James. I read it in the New King James. But I remember this verse in the King James. And the King James put it this way. 
1 Peter 2, verse 9, but ye, yeah, we don't use that one anymore, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people. A peculiar people. Now you grow up in church thinking that you're, you're peculiar. <laughs> right? And, and, and what happened was, you know, we had to spin that. You know, we had to, well, we're peculiar, but we're, you know, we're, we're, we're cool. We're cool, right? You know, we're peculiar, but we're cool. And, and this feeling that many people had growing up with this particular verse is, is, is because most people think of the definition of peculiar that we're most familiar with. But there's more than one definition of peculiar. Amen. The definition that we're all familiar with is this one. Peculiar is strange or odd, right? And so you had to deal with this as a, as a, as a young Christian back in the 70s. You know, you had to... The peculiar was kind of weird, right? That's what, we, that's what the word means. Peculiar is weird, strange, or odd. But we're a peculiar people? I guess so. It's in the Bible. We must be peculiar, Right? <laughs> But look it up. Look it up on dictionary.com. Get out your Webster's. Get out your, you know, yeah, get, you know, Webster, I guess, is the go-to, you know. Get out your Webster's. There's multiple definitions of peculiar. And if you read down about to the fourth or fifth one, ding, 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 the light bulbs go on and you say, that's it. Peculiar is belonging exclusively to some person, group, or thing. And when you look at the, ver- the word in the Greek text, this is the meaning of this word, and that's why some have, you know, in later translations, instead of using the word peculiar, they'll say his own special people, right? And so those who've grown up without the King James didn't have to go through the, the, the whole thing of, of, of thinking of themselves as being peculiar. But I, I want to bring it back. Amen? And there was actually a band. Here's another musical reference. Their name is Mute Math. Mute Math. And you can look this up on iTunes. It's a great song. It's actually called Peculiar People. And it's a great, great song. In fact, it has if you like Sting, anybody like any any uh, police fans or Sting fans? Yeah, look up look up uh, Mute Math, Peculiar People. You will absolutely fall in love with this song. And it just says we are peculiar people. And it, he uses this particular uh, particular scripture. But that's that's the kind of peculiar we are. We're God's peculiar people, His possession. We belong to God. We're a special people. We're his own possession. We belong to God. That's what we are. Now, this is a theme that is a major theme, a major part of understanding the Bible. And what the Bible teaches from cover to cover is understanding this whole idea about the people of God and him having a special people. Uh, Because it's, and I want to, uh, reference just very briefly tonight um, what Dr. Michael Heiser calls the Deuteronomy 32 worldview. The Deuteronomy 32 worldview. You say, what's that? Well, actually, I 
took about five to seven minutes and explained this entire thing back in a message I did back in the Citizen Series. In fact, it was the first message of the Citizen Series. It was called Naturalization in the Kingdom of Heaven. And if you go back and listen to that message, I take about five to seven minutes and I go and I articulate the whole concept of a Deuteronomy 32 worldview. Well, you say, I'm still lost. I don't remember that message. Well, that's why sometimes we have to go back and do a refresher course. Amen. And so I'm going to not do the seven minute version. I'm going to do the two minute version on the Deuteronomy 32 worldview. Amen. It's very, it's very, uh, it's, it's very basic. It says this, uh, in Deuteronomy 32, verses 7 through 9. I'll have each verse on the screen by themselves in succession. So Christian, go ahead and put verse 7 up there. Deuteronomy 32, verse 7, it says this, remember the days of old, consider, and I'm reading this in the ESV, by the way, the, the English Standard Version. Remember the days of old, consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you your elders and they will tell you. Verse 8, when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance when he divided mankind. And he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. Okay, so this passage of Scripture is a parallel passage to what God did at Babel. We're going to tie this back into Babel and the bricks. What God did at Babel, and when they were building a a big structure with bricks, is what he did is he came in there and he said, okay, we're going to divide this up. We're not going to have this. And he divided mankind. Go back to verse 8. Christian, go back to verse 8. When he divided mankind, and he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the numbers of the sons of God. And so what God did is here is he disinherited the people. He disinherited the nations. He said, okay, you're going to build this tower. You're going to serve Nimrod. You're going to serve these other gods. You're going to do this whole thing. You're not going to be fruitful and multiply and fill the entire earth. You're going to camp out here on the plains of Shinar. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come in here, and I'm going to confuse the language, and I'm going to divide mankind, and I'm going to give the people of the world over to the gods that they want to serve, the sons of God, the Beneha Elohim. Paul put it this way in Romans 1. He gave them up. He gave them up to just go and worship the created rather than the creator. And so this is what's happening. So God gives up the nations. He gives up the people. He says, look, if you, do, if you don't want to serve me, that you, I gave you free will. I'm going to just give you up to these other gods. Go look at verse 9. Deuteronomy 32, verse 9. Verse 9. Next one. But the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is his allotted heritage. What's that? Yeah, he gave up the nations. He disinherited the nations in chapter 11 of Genesis. We'll turn the page to chapter 12. What did he do? He found a man in Ur of the Chaldees. And he called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. He called him out of that Babylonian area and he said, come and I'm going to make you a father of many nations and I'm going to bless all the families of the world through you. I'm going to make you great Abraham and I'm going to give and he took him to the land of Canaan and he showed him the land and he said, look to the east, to the west, to the north, to the south. I am giving this land to your seed as an inheritance forever and ever and ever. And so he 
chose a people, selected a man, chose a people, and within 400 years there were roughly 2 million people coming out of the land of Egypt, ready to inherit the land. And so when this was written in Deuteronomy 32, this is being recorded and said, here's what happened. I disinherited the nations, but I have a people. Jacob is my inheritance. Now, fast forwarding to this side of the cross, amen? What Peter is saying here is that we're part of what God did in selecting and choosing a people and having people come to him the way that, Peter, the way that Abraham responded. If you read the Hall of Faith in Hebrews 11, how was Abraham saved? By faith. By faith he believed God and left his land and went and did the things that God told him. And so the same way that Abraham was saved and became the father of many nations and became the father of the peculiar people that would arrive on, on the earth, we come to God the same way and we become a part of the chosen generation, God's own special people. Amen? You see, are you with me on that? Do you see what the Bible teaches about coming to Christ and what it means? in our life, that we're part of, of, of God's plan of, of calling to himself a people, calling out of the world a people. And, and you're a part of it if you believe in Christ. You're a part of it. And so I believe Peter here, picking up on this theme, he says, you're a look, look back verse 9. He says, but you're a chosen generation. Yeah, God picked you. You're a chosen generation. A royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're, you're, you're exactly Christian. What, what I did when I, when I made Israel my people and I made them a royal priesthood and I made them a holy nation and I called them out from the nations and I made them my special people, you're my own possession. You're my special people. And Christian, that's what you are. So you're a living stone and you're, let's go ahead and rebirth it. You're a peculiar people. You're God's own possession. Amen. Amen. Now, to finish it all up, look at verse 10. If I can read it here. Oh, the end of verse 9. You're his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, and who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. So, if you're chosen by God and you're his own possession, what are you to do? Because that's kind of good. Well, I'm chosen by God. Man, that makes me feel good. And I'm, 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 a, I'm God's peculiar people, part of God's peculiar people. Well, that makes me feel good now that I understand what peculiar means, amen, and not strange and odd. And, 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 and so that's great. But, but what should we do? Well, Peter tells us, amen. He, gives, he says to praise God, to give God the glory in your life. Give God the glory in your life because you're a part of what God's doing in the world that you're part of his people, that you're part of his family. Amen? And he gives you three things to thank him for, three things to praise him for. Now, now Matt Redman said there are 10,000 reasons. Amen? There are 10,000 reasons to praise him. Peter gives us three really good ones right here in our last verse. Amen? And they are this. Praise him because he brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were sitting in darkness. Without Christ, you're, you're in darkness. It may not be physically dark, but you're in the darkness of not knowing Christ, not knowing God. And he brought you out of that darkness. And so give God the glory and give God thanks that he brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Number two, 
Praise him because he made you a part of the people of God. You're part. You, you belong to the, the people of God. That's why we have the welcome home signs everywhere, because we're a family. We're the family of God. And if you're a Christian, if you've been called out of the world, then welcome home. You're a part of the family of God. And every time we gather together, we have reason to celebrate and give God the praise and glory for doing it. Amen? And then one last reason, Peter says, give him praise because he's given you mercy. Before you knew Christ, you hadn't received mercy. You needed mercy, but you hadn't received it until you came to Jesus to receive the mercy, the grace of God, the, the, the gift of God to receive his mercy. Now, these are some great reasons to praise the Lord. Amen? And so you say, well, we're, we're stone temple Christians. And what are we supposed to do that we're stone temple Christians? Well, we're to live our life for the glory of God. And we're to give him thanks when we're going about our day, when we come together, we're to give him thanks and praise and thank him that he's called us out of darkness, that he's made us a part of the people of God, and that he's given us the mercy of God. He's made us into a spiritual temple for the dwelling of his spirit in our midst.